0: The subcommittee to order, and we are glad to welcome to the committee nominees to be Ambassador to Kuwait, Ambassador to Turkmenistan, Ambassador to the UAE, Ambassador to the Maldives, and Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy. Um, we are uh, gifted by the presence of several of our colleagues who are going to provide uh, introductions. Uh, we will start with Senator Casey, who will introduce Elizabeth Rood, Senator Sullivan, who will introduce Martina Strong, and then Senator Shaheen, who will introduce Elizabeth Allen. Uh, I will introduce the remaining guests, Senator Haggerty and I will say a few opening words, and then we will get to the testimony of our very capable nominees. So again, thank you to both uh, Senator Casey and Senator Sullivan for joining us here today, and I'm going to defer to Senator Casey and Senator Sullivan to open us up.
1: Well, Chairman Murphy, thank you and Ranking Member Haggerty, and members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Thank you for the opportunity to speak in support of the nomination of a fellow Pennsylvanian and devoted civil servant, Elizabeth Rood, to be the next U.S. Ambassador to Turkmenistan. Elizabeth, thank you for your willingness to serve as well as your years of service at the Army War College in Carlisle. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth's three children, Margaret, Alice, and Andrew, and her grandchildren. No one enters public service alone. The commitments of such a role mean that public servants' families uh, uh, must make sacrifices as well as the person who is elected or appointed to a position. Elizabeth has already shown herself to be a tough diplomat committed to standing up for U.S. interests and U.S. values. The role of ambassador to Turkmenistan is a critical diplomatic position for the United States government and it will require someone with Elizabeth's experience and determination. Turkmenistan occupies an important geographic region bordering Afghanistan, Iran, and the Caspian Sea. Rich in fossil fuels, Turkmenistan's reliance on Chinese natural gas purchases puts the country at the heart of great power competition. The government of Turkmenistan's authoritarian rule, centralized economy, corruption and human rights record present challenges for uh, our future ambassador. Elizabeth's 35-plus years of public service, including almost three decades as a diplomat and six years as a public school teacher, make her well equipped to promote U.S. interests in Turkmenistan. Most recently, she served as Deputy Chief of Mission and chargé d'affaires at U.S. Embassy Moscow. I personally know of her commitment to the nation through her efforts to fight for the release of a fellow Pennsylvanian and a fellow student of, of the Russian language, international educator Mark Fogel, who languishes still in a Russian jail on trumped-up charges and who requires our continued uh, attention. Filling in as an acting ambassador, Elizabeth led the U.S. mission in Moscow for almost five months during the most tumultuous time for U.S.-Russia relations since the Cuban Missile Crisis, due to Russia's unlawful invasion of Ukraine. But this is just the latest example of her taking on a tough challenge. Throughout her career, she's jumped at opportunities to, walk, to do all she can for our country, uh, including multiple years-long tours in Afghanistan, leading the State Department's Critical Export Control Cooperation Office, or strengthening democracy in the country of Georgia, less than 30 miles from Russian-occupied territory. Her exemplary service, qualifications, and eagerness to take on difficult assignments make me confident that she will honorably represent U.S. interests in Turkmenistan. I strongly support her nomination to be the next U.S. Ambassador, and thank you for the opportunity to speak on her behalf.
0: Thank you, Senator Casey. Senator Sullivan. Thank you,
2: Mr. Chairman, um, and to my fellow colleagues in the U.S. Senate. It is a great pleasure to be here today to introduce to you Martina Strong, the president's nominee to be ambassador to the United Arab Emirates. I've known Martina since 2003 when we worked together on the National Security Council staff during the Bush administration. In fact, we had adjoining offices, long hours there, Uh, I want to tell you that Martina literally embodies the American dream. She came to the U.S. from communist Czechoslovakia as a political refugee at the age of 14 and has gone on to enjoy a remarkable, exceptional career in the service of the American people. Her husband John, who's right behind us, has also served our nation very well, retiring as a colonel in the U.S. Army after 30 years of service. A career member of the Senior Foreign Service and rank of Minister Counselor, Martina served most recently as charge of affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Saudi Arabia. In fact, although that was supposed to be a temporary assignment, Martina has been charge in Riyadh for three years after nearly two additional years as Deputy Chief of Mission there. She was the DCM to our former outstanding ambassador to Saudi Arabia, General John Abizaid, who called Martina, quote, a gifted leader and diplomat second to none. Mr. Chairman, it's not an easy time to lead any mission in the Gulf, whether Riyadh or elsewhere, but Martina's record in this crucial region has been exceptional. First and foremost, she has been a champion for our fellow Americans and their security. She's provided key support for our efforts to end the war in Yemen and mobilize assistance for Ukraine. And she's helped deliver billions of dollars in commercial wins for American companies and American workers through relentless uh, advocacy. Just yesterday, Boeing, with Martina's assistance, announced a landmark $37 billion deal with Saudi Arabia to purchase 787 Dreamliners. There are a lot of moving pieces in the Persian Gulf. U.S. leadership is not something that we can take for granted in that region. We have to work at maintaining our strategic security and commercial advantages. We need someone in Abu Dhabi who understands this and who has a proven record of doing it. I am confident that Martina Strong is that person. Mr. Chairman, as some of you know, Senator Van Hollen and I co-founded the Senate Foreign Service Officers' Caucus a number of years ago to highlight and promote the patriotic men and women who serve our great nation with integrity, skill, and professionalism, who have taken risks for our nation, who have sacrificed time away from family and loved ones for months or even years in order to promote the foreign policy interests of America. Martina embodies that type of foreign service officer that Senator Van Hollen and I had in mind when we started this caucus. Martina served in Iraq as the political minister counselor in Baghdad during the height of the conflict with ISIS and earlier as the U.S. Army's political advisor, in Basra during the Shia militia insurgency. These were multi-year unaccompanied tours that entailed much risk and separation from her family. She has served in Bulgaria's DCM and the Czech Republic, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and France. And oh, by the way, in addition to English, Martina speaks seven languages, Arabic, French, Russian, German, Polish, Czech, bosnian in addition to a long list of state department recognitions and awards she is the recipient of the meritorious presidential rank award as well as the department of the army's meritorious civilian service and superior civilian service awards martina strong will serve our country as she always has with integrity honor and distinction i urge all of my colleagues to strongly support her confirmation.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Senator Sullivan. Uh, thank you, Senator Casey. We know you have busy days ahead of you, but we appreciate you being here with us to make those introductions. And as you depart, let me recognize uh, Secretary, uh, Senator Shaheen.
3: Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And as a member of the committee, I will stay up here since there's not a lot of room at the table. Um, but it's my honor to introduce Elizabeth Allen, who is also known as Liz. All of her friends and colleagues call her Liz. To be Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs, that's a position that is critical to advancing our foreign policy priorities in every corner of the world. Ms. Allen got her professional start at the State Department, supporting Afghan women and combating human trafficking. If confirmed, this would be her sixth role at the department. She's an experienced practitioner of public diplomacy and longtime communications and public affairs strategist. Ms. Allen believes deeply in the United States' role in the world, and she's seen firsthand how our positive, affirmative vision can reinforce America's leadership. Her strong commitment to public service is reflected in the eight years she served in the Obama-Biden administration, including as White House Deputy Communications Director and Deputy Assistant to President Obama, and as White House Director of Message Planning and Deputy Director of Communications to then Vice President Biden. Liz previously was a partner at FGS Global, where she specialized in message and advocacy strategy, reputation and crisis management, and executive leadership communications on a range of international public policy issues. Liz is a native of Buffalo, New York, and she graduated magna cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa with a degree in political science from the State University of New York at Geneseo. Ms. Allen's nomination to this role could not come at a more important time. Since it was created in 1999, sadly, this role of public diplomacy has been left vacant as often as it has been filled. In 2021, I led a letter to President Biden calling for an appointment to this position. The Under Secretary for Public Diplomacy provides the vision, the tools, and the guidance our Foreign Service, Civil Service, and locally engaged staff need to effectively communicate our foreign policy and to build sustained relationships. Among Ms. Allen's responsibilities in this role will be oversight of the Global Engagement Center, an important interagency effort that identifies and counters misinformation which harms U.S. interests by undermining global public support for our foreign policy agenda. The Global Engagement Center has had strong bipartisan support but its mission has become even more important in the last year because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. If confirmed, I look forward to working with Liz Allen to ensure the department and its public diplomacy team are well positioned to meet this moment, and I urge all of the members of the committee to support her nomination.
0: Thank you very much, Senator Shaheen. Um, before I make a few opening remarks, let me just round out our introductions. We are. Um, very eager to hear from Ms. Karen Sasahara, who most recently served as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs with responsibility for North Africa. She's previously served posts in Jordan, Jerusalem, and Yemen, and comes uniquely poised to succeed as our next uh, ambassador to Kuwait. And we're also pleased to be joined uh, by... Uh, Mr. Hugo Yawn, who is currently a senior advisor to the Under Secretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment. He previously served in the State Department's Bureau of International Organization Affairs, Transportation Affairs, and in several positions at the National Security Council. Um, let me just say a few opening words to our panel. You are um, all before us to represent the United States and key posts all around the world. And of course, first and foremost, we thank you for the service you have rendered to this country and for your continued willingness to serve and to your families as well for serving alongside you. Uh, Ms. Sasahara, the United States, um, of course, has had a very distinctive partnership with Kuwait since we helped liberate the country from Saddam Hussein's forces in 1991. Um, the country's strategic location, large oil and natural gas reserves, and its willingness to base and host U.S. troops ensures that Kuwait is going to remain very relevant to U.S. interests in the Gulf. But interestingly, in comparison to other monarchies in the region, particularly in the GCC, Kuwait has also made some pretty interesting progress when it comes to participatory democracy and I'll be interested to hear from you about ways in which we can support Kuwait's plans to further such reform in the years ahead. Uh, Ms. Rood, you are headed to Turkmenistan, uh, and it is a country very rich in hydrocarbons, but also home to a repressive authoritarian government that has kept the country largely isolated from the outside world. And so the committee is going to welcome your views on how to encourage Turkmenistan to diversify its natural gas exports away from China, take steps to open its economy and improve its human rights record. Ms. Strong, the UAE has emerged as an influential economic and diplomatic player in the Middle East and beyond, but the UAE has not always wielded that influence in ways that support U.S. interests, most notably in Yemen and Libya, and recently, in their willingness to allow their country to become a hub for Russia sanctions evasion. We're gonna look forward to hearing from you on how to help us balance and right-size that relationship. Ms. Allen, you've served as Undersecretary of Public Diplomacy uh, on an acting basis for almost a year now. You've experienced firsthand the challenges of managing, managing our engagement with foreign publics uh, and the media, and so we really look forward to your very informed views on how to best promote U.S. policies overseas and how to counter these increasingly sophisticated disinformation campaigns. And finally, Mr. Yang, you're nominated to be our first US ambassador with sole responsibility for the Maldives. And we it couldn't come at a better time as we seek to expand our diplomatic presence in the Indo-Pacific by opening a new embassy in Malay. Um, this country with influences from both India and China, but they have a really critical role to maintaining peace and security in the Indian Ocean. And we're glad that you will signal our increased attention to that country. Uh, Look forward to your testimony, and let me turn it over to uh, Senator Haggerty for his opening comments.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, And I wanna thank all of the nominees for appearing today before us. And I wanna thank you for your willingness to serve our great nation. Today, we consider nominees for five important positions. And first and foremost, I want to congratulate you, and even more importantly, I want to congratulate all of your families. I appreciate the sacrifice that your families make to support you in the roles that you're hoping to take on, and it makes a tremendous difference. So congratulations to all of them. If confirmed, you're going to have a unique opportunity and responsibility to represent the most exceptional nation in the world. Please remember that. Every day that you wake up, you are representing the most exceptional nation in the world. I know there may be challenges, there may be problems, but this is America that you're planning to represent. So congratulations to you and your families. I'd like to start with the nominee to be US ambassador to the UAE. Uh, The UAE and the United States share a history of strong friendship and cooperation. The UAE is a very important player in energy markets and in regional security and regional commerce more broadly. I look forward to hearing from the nominee about how we can maintain a strong partnership while working to counter China's growing malign influence in the region and at the same time working to address Iranian efforts to destabilize the region. Next, I'd like to turn to the nominee to be ambassador to Kuwait. Kuwait and the United States enjoy a long history of cooperation and Kuwait will be critical to combating the malign influence of of communist China in the Middle East. I look forward to hearing from the nominee on this subject. Next, I'd like to turn to the nominee to be ambassador to Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan's location and energy resources are critical aspects of this important relationship for the United States. I hope our next ambassador can continue to build strong diplomatic ties. And Turning now to to the nomination to be our ambassador to the Maldives, Hugo, it's good to see you again. Uh, I want to congratulate you on your nomination and to underscore the fact that there's a tremendous amount of activity where you're headed. And I think you're gonna play a very critical role in establishing our foothold there and our influence there. The United States and the Maldives enjoy a very friendly relationship and the nation's strategic location is absolutely critical to our diplomatic ties in that entire region. So I look forward to hearing from you on how we'll strengthen that relationship as well. And last, but certainly not least, I'd like to focus on the nominee to be Under Secretary for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs. The Under Secretary for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs is tasked with leading the U.S. government's overall public diplomacy effort, increasing the impact of educational and cultural exchange, and developing and utilizing new technologies to improve the efficiency of our public diplomacy programs. I look forward to hearing your plan on leveraging this position to advance America's interest. And to all of our nominees, again, thank you for serving our nation and for answering the questions from the committee today. I look forward to hearing all of your testimony. Mr. Chairman, I yield my time back to you.
0: Uh, Thank you very uh, much, uh, Senator Haggerty. Let me uh, also uh, welcome uh, this committee's good friend, uh, Michael Ratney, to uh, the committee. We we hope to... um, We hope to time these confirmations perfectly uh, for your family to get you both uh, to the region as expeditiously as possible. Thank you for being here today. Um, Why don't we start uh, with uh, Mr. Yawn, and we'll go down the line for opening comments. We ask you to keep your comments to five minutes uh, or less, uh, anything extra you can submit for the record. Let's just wait to make sure we have a working microphone. Do we have somebody uh, from the committee who can look at look at time. that? <laughs> that is impressive. All right.
5: How's that? That's okay. perfect. That's great. Uh, Chair Murphy, uh, Ranking Member Haggerty and distinguished members of the committee, it is a privilege to uh, appear before you today. I thank President Biden and Secretary Blinken for their confidence in me and their support in nominating me to become the first U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Maldives. I want to thank my spouse, Lisa, without whose support and sacrifice I would not be sitting here today. I also want to recognize my children, Hudson and Hannah, uh, who have had to endure and enjoy the itinerant life of diplomacy. Uh, If my parents were alive today, our life of public service would bring smiles to their faces. Uh, My father and his family ran from China during the tumultuous decade of the Cultural Revolution. Uh, After immigrating to the United States, he rebuilt his life, ultimately becoming a proud civilian engineer for the U.S. Navy. My parents taught me that one can pursue the American dream, but also serve his or her community and help others to advance. I have carried these life lessons into my 24 years of diplomacy. Uh, we shape global rules and norms that allow Americans to compete and prosper, but also provide opportunity for other countries to join in and benefit from an open, free, prosperous, and secure world order. Uh, if confirmed, I would help build the foundation uh, to facilitate U.S.-Maldive ties for decades to come. As we take this important step towards strengthening our bilateral relationship, Maldives stands at a historical juncture in its own development. Uh, I would prioritize expanding and deepening our partnership with Maldives in the areas of democracy, diversification, and defense. On democracy, Maldives is scheduled in the early fall to directly elect its president for just the fourth time. As a young democracy, Maldives has been building the institutions to support and strengthen the democratic process. The country made strong commitments at the Summit for Democracy. If cons- confirmed, I would continue to prioritize the work of the State Department, the USAID, and the Department of Justice in sustaining and strengthening democracy in Maldives. On diversification, Maldives faces limited options to shape, resist, and adapt to global forces. Maldives is well known as a world-class tourism destination. That strength is also a source of vulnerability for the economy because Maldives relies so heavily on this one industry. Uh, Even as the country endeavors uh, through infrastructure investments to expand tourism, sustain its fisheries, develop additional sectors and jobs, and adapt to sea level rise and land erosion, it still faces vulnerabilities. Uh, If confirmed, I would build on our work with Maldives on financial management and transparency. I would facilitate American uh, business engagement and U.S. educational uh, and training opportunities to help Maldives diversify their economic partner choices for its people and to meet the unique challenges that small island nations face. Uh, Furthermore, Maldives has embraced the principle that all countries should engage peacefully for an open, Free, prosperous and secure Indo-Pacific region. In the United Nations, it stood firm against Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The Maldives has played a positive role in international organizations in search of solutions to global challenges, including on climate change. Uh, If confirmed, I would deepen our work together on regional and global challenges of mutual priority. Third, on defense, uh, the vast waters of Maldives' exclusive economic zone sit upon a critical global sea lane through which a significant portion of the world's energy and goods transit. In securing these waters, the Maldivian people face transnational threats such as trafficking, illegal and unreported fishing, violent extremism, terrorism, and communicable diseases. Maldives also must contend with actors who seek to undermine democratic values and erode the sovereignty and security of nations We are addressing this broad set of challenges, including through our uh, 2020 Defense Cooperation Agreement and military exchanges and engagement by the State Department and our partner agencies. If confirmed, I would continue to expand our multifaceted partnership to support Maldives' efforts to maintain the security, integrity, and openness of the vast ocean territory we both work to protect. Finally, at the top of my daily priorities list, will be safeguarding our people, including the over 60,000 Americans who visit Maldives signature tourism destinations each year. With that, I look forward to your questions.
6: Thank you so much. First to Senator Shaheen for that very kind introduction. I'm very grateful for your partnership. To Chairman Murphy, to you, Ranking Member Hegarty, and members of this committee, I'm very humbled to be here today. And having spent the majority of my career in public service, I am very humbled to be considered by the Senate for this important position. The virtue of serving the American people runs deep in my family. I am the granddaughter of two World War II veterans. I am the daughter of parents who taught me the importance of voting and civic participation regardless of party. I am the sister of a United States Naval Academy graduate and US Marine Corps veteran. I am the sister-in-law of a civil servant at the Pentagon. And I am the friend to many who have chosen to dedicate their lives to public service. I am joined here today by some of those family and friends, including behind me my dad Steven, my mom Susan, and some of those friends, and I am deeply grateful for their support. I first joined the State Department under President George W. Bush and Secretary Condoleezza Rice working on international women's issues. I later returned to work on combating human smuggling and trafficking. And in between my time in the Obama-Biden White House, I spent a year in the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs under Secretary Kerry, which is to say that I believe deeply in the work of the State Department and its people. This nomination to serve as Under Secretary of State for Public Diplomacy is the honor of a professional lifetime, and I thank President Biden for placing his faith in me as his nominee. Over the past two years, under Secretary Blinken, I have had the privilege of serving as Assistant Secretary of State for Global Public Affairs and Senior Official for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs. And those and other experiences in and out of government have reinforced my firm belief that U.S. public diplomacy is essential to shaping a more open, prosperous, and secure future. Our audiences overseas, both online and in person, are central to every major foreign policy issue and consequence. It is relationships between people, not just relationships between government, that are driving geopolitical developments that will shape the future. And at the same time, as has been mentioned here today, the information space is an increasingly contested theater of competition, competition for influence. The stakes have never been greater. And to meet this moment, we must be clear-eyed about the challenges we face. Repressive governments envision a future in which freedom of expression is criminalized and the flow of information is stymied, as we're seeing in Iran. The People's Republic of China and Russia vastly outspend us on what they call public diplomacy, and their growing alignment threatens to upend global norms. But this is our opportunity. For the United States, the value proposition of our public diplomacy is different. It is about telling America's story. Explaining our foreign policy, conveying our vision, creating economic opportunity, developing the leaders of tomorrow, empowering independent media, and calling out foreign propaganda, disinformation, and foreign malign influence. In doing all of that, we build trust and credibility to realize an affirmative, forward-looking, dynamic vision for ourselves and our partners worldwide. And if confirmed, I am committed to harnessing the public diplomacy toolkit to address these challenges presented by our adversaries and to seize opportunities made possible by American leadership. That is exactly what our public diplomacy team did in the face of Russia's illegal, unjustified invasion of Ukraine. We identified and analyzed Putin's lies. We worked alongside the interagency to declassify intelligence, exposing his plans and intentions. We conducted hundreds of media interviews to share the truth with the American people, the Russian people, and people all over the world. We developed and deployed new, engaging digital products that highlighted stories of Ukrainian resilience and of Putin's hypocrisy. We leveraged new platforms, technology, and content to reach Russian-speaking audiences. We worked with the Ukrainian government to protect cultural heritage, helping the Ukrainians preserve their identity and their democracy. This work was and remains fundamental to unifying our allies and laying out the facts for the world to see. It's important to note that public diplomacy benefits us here at home as well. International students added $32 billion to the U.S. economy last year, and American exchange program participants are returning home with marketable skills that are making them more competitive for 21st century jobs. International visitors on our programs engage communities across our country, and programs like the Gilman Scholarship help underserved Americans study abroad. And if confirmed, I want to better communicate the benefits of foreign policy to our fellow Americans, who deserve to know what the United States government is doing around the world day in and day out in their interest. And finally, most importantly, it would be my great honor to lead the more than 5,000 dedicated foreign service officers, civil service officers, locally employed staff, eligible family members, and contractors who comprise our public diplomacy workforce across the world. If confirmed and in partnership with you, I look forward to better equipping them with the tools, resources, training, and leadership needed to meet this critical moment. Thank you so much to the committee for inviting me here today, and I look forward to your questions.
4: Thank you. Jose Strong.
6: Thank you very much. And I would like
7: to also begin with a word of thanks to Senator Sullivan, even though he had to depart. I really appreciate his uh, kind introduction and the friendship throughout the years. Uh, Chairman Murphy, uh, Ranking Member Haggerty, distinguished members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as the next U.S. Ambassador to the United Arab Emirates. I'm grateful to the President and Secretary Blinken for the trust and confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, it will be an honor to lead our mission as we continue to deepen our nation's strategic partnership with the United Arab Emirates. Our relationship is critical to U.S. national security at a time when our interests in a region are being challenged by conventional and asymmetric, asymmetric threats, complex problems like climate change, as well as aggressive competitors, particularly China. If confirmed, I pledge to consult closely with this committee in advancing our interests and addressing our challenges. Mr. Chairman, the safety and security of our fellow Americans and U.S. personnel will be my foremost priority if confirmed. I will devote myself to protecting U.S. citizens and their interests, and you have my commitment that I will advocate for detained Americans, their welfare, and their well-being. If confirmed, I will press Emirati authorities to respect American citizens' rights and to meet their international obligations, including to provide regular consular access to our citizens. By signing the historic Abraham Accords in 2020, the UAE became the first Arab country in generations to normalize ties with Israel. Leveraging this opportunity and expanding the growing cooperation between the UAE and Israel will buttress our shared goals of peace, prosperity, and greater integration in the Middle East. The UAE will host COP28 later this year, presenting another key opportunity to deepen our collaboration. If confirmed, I will work to expand our partnership in these and other areas. Our commercial and investment ties are dynamic and drive prosperity in both our countries. The United States enjoys a healthy trade surplus with the UAE, which is the largest market for U.S. goods and services in the Middle East. Over 1,500 American firms are successfully operating in the UAE. If confirmed, I will continue to advocate for U.S. businesses in the UAE and work to ensure that these positive trend lines continue. Our security ties with the UAE, a capable and interoperable partner, have been central to our fight against terrorism and to countering Iran's malign activities across the region. If confirmed, I will prioritize our efforts to bolster deterrence and regional stability, de-escalate regional tensions, protect freedom of navigation, especially in critical maritime choke points, and support a political settlement to the conflict in Yemen. If confirmed, I will also be clear with UAE leaders regarding our deep concerns pertaining to China, whose violations of international law and sovereignty of countries around the globe, including the United States, underscore that China represents our most consequential geopolitical challenge. If confirmed, I will work closely with the administration and Congress to counter China's efforts to expand its influence in the UAE and the Gulf. Our partnership with the UAE is built on a strong foundation of decades-long close cooperation and our mutual interest in securing a free, rules-based, and prosperous world today and for decades to come. While we do not agree on all issues, our frank and constructive diplomatic engagement has helped us deepen and modernize this vital bilateral partnership. If confirmed, I will work with the UAE to advance our shared values like interfaith tolerance, which is embodied in a recently opened Abrahamic House. Our ongoing and vital work to address trafficking in persons and to, stre- and to strengthen human rights protections will also continue. If confirmed, I will ensure that the work of our mission to the UAE is firmly anchored in our nation's core priorities, and our team continues to deliver for the American people, companies, and workers. In closing, please allow me to take this opportunity to thank my husband, John, and our wonderful daughter, Ellie, who are joining me here today. I'm deeply grateful for their boundless love, support, and patience in the face of multiple moves and long separations during my several unaccompanied tours. While they cannot be here today, I'm forever indebted to my parents, Wojciech and Jarmila Tkadlac, whose courage and conviction helped our family escape from communist Czechoslovakia and then propelled us from a refugee camp to a successful new life in the United States. For us, the American Dream became a reality, in large part thanks to the generous assistance of so many. I especially want to thank Family Civek, whose help early on launched us on the path that led me all the way to this hearing today. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Haggerty, thank you again for the privilege of appearing before you and for your consideration of my nomination. I welcome your
8: questions.
0: Thank you very much. Ms. Rood.
8: Good afternoon, Chairman Murphy, Ranking Member Haggerty, and honorable members of this committee. I am grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you today and thank you for considering my nomination to serve as ambassador to Turkmenistan. I would like to start by thanking Senator Casey for the honor of his introduction, as well as the family, friends, and colleagues who have supported me. My family cannot be present today, but I would like to uh, acknowledge the presence of, um, I'm sorry, Um, I would especially like to acknowledge my children, Margaret Alice and Andrew Kimbrell, who are now grown, but who have accompanied me in my Foreign Service career. I have the honor to have as guest today two former ambassadors to Turkmenistan, Ambassador Stephen Mann and Ambassador Laura Kennedy. Their mentoring and friendship have played a large role across the decades in my presence here today. Since Turkmenistan's independence in 1991 and the establishment of diplomatic relations the following year, progress in our engagement has been slow but steady. The United States has been steadfast in our commitment to Turkmenistan's independence, prosperity, sovereignty, and territorial integrity, and our consistent diplomacy has borne fruit. Our persistent diplomatic efforts in recent years have yielded expanded U.S. commercial ties with Turkmenistan, a broadening of security cooperation to face security threats in the region, increased engagement to fight climate change through the reduction of methane emissions, unprecedented cultural and educational exchanges, and nascent progress on human rights, highlighted by the government's pardoning in 2021 of 16 Jehovah's Witnesses incarcerated for their conscientious objection to mandatory military service. I believe all these developments demonstrate that tenacious, principled engagement with Turkmenistan works. If confirmed, I will work to build on this progress to ensure our bilateral engagement reaches its full potential. I want to underscore that despite our differences, the United States and Turkmenistan share several important interests. We share with Turkmenistan an increasing interest in securing the country's borders, particularly its 462-mile border with Afghanistan. Secure borders help counter the threats posed by terrorism, drug trafficking, and the smuggling of other dangerous and illicit materials. When we help Turkmenistan secure its borders, we are not only promoting the sovereignty and stability of Turkmenistan and the broader Central Asia region, but we are also helping to keep the American people and the world safe. There is also tremendous potential for our two countries to achieve the key administration goal of addressing climate change. In the last few years, Turkmenistan has clearly demonstrated an awareness of the threat climate change poses and the part it can play in combating the threat. Turkmenistan's interest in combating climate change provides a strong basis for engagement and cooperation with the United States. As just one example, we have recently offered to share our expertise to help Turkmenistan reduce methane leaking and venting. We also share with Turkmenistan an interest in building commercial ties between our countries Greater commercial ties provide greater opportunities for U.S. companies to expand sales and boost the economy of the United States, while creating greater incentives for the government of Turkmenistan to reduce corruption, strengthen its legal system, and improve its business environment. We are also investing in preserving Turkmenistan's rich cultural heritage. Some of the more notable projects include restoration of the country's oldest standing mosque, unique forms of folk music, antique carpets and manuscripts, and important Silk Road sites. This cooperation preserves something valuable to both Turkmenistan and the world and has been a high point in our bilateral relationship for many years. Maintaining a productive relationship with Turkmenistan is in the best interests of the United States because it allows us to engage with the government of Turkmenistan on issues of vital importance to our national security. For example, if confirmed, I will emphasize the importance of holding Russia to account for its aggression against Ukraine and urge cooperation on the implementation of sanctions on Russia. I will use every opportunity to urge the government of Turkmenistan to adhere to its international legal obligations and commitments, including as a member of the United Nations and the OSCE. I will also continue to send a strong and clear message about the importance of human rights and fundamental freedoms, including freedom of religion or belief freedom of expression, and civil and political rights. And I will also continue our advocacy for labor rights, women's rights, civil society, and the rule of law. Mr. Chairman, there is tremendous potential for our bilateral relationship with Turkmenistan. If confirmed, I look forward to partnering with this committee and Congress to build on our progress so that we may achieve mutual objectives for the benefit of the people of the United States and the people of Turkmenistan. Thank you for considering my nomination. I look forward to answering any questions you might have.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Sazahara.
8: Mr. Chairman, a Ranking Member Haggerty,
9: distinguished members of the committee, I am honored to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as ambassador to the State of Kuwait. I am grateful to the President and to Secretary Blinken for their confidence in me to undertake this important role. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with members of this committee to advance U.S. national security interests in Kuwait, and to ensure that Kuwait remains a strong partner for the United States. I would also like to express my deepest gratitude to my parents, members of that greatest generation whose devotion to their family and their sacrifices are why I am here today. Likewise to my siblings, who have always supported me no matter what, and of course, my husband, who has been a great source of support both personally and as a fellow Foreign Service officer. If confirmed, I will work with our Kuwaiti partners to increase pressure on Iran to stop its destabilizing activities in the region. Through my service in Yemen, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and elsewhere in the Middle East, I know firsthand the harm Iran and its proxies have inflicted on U.S. interests and on our allies. Iran continues to threaten freedom of navigation in one of the world's most critical seaways, threatening regional stability and global energy markets. Its support to the Houthis in Yemen, Bashar al-Assad's regime in Syria, and Hezbollah in Lebanon destabilizes the entire region and threatens U.S. security interests. If confirmed, I will work with our Kuwaiti partners to counter this threat. And Kuwait has developed stronger ties across its border with Iraq, including normalized trade relations and a modernized border crossing. If confirmed, I look forward to helping strengthen relationships across the region. Kuwait is a member of the Coalition to Defeat ISIS, and our relationship is vital to the stability and security in the Middle East and essential to our own national security. In 2021, Kuwait helped the United States relocate more than 5,000 people from Afghanistan, in addition to their most recent efforts to ease the horrific situation in Ukraine. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the Kuwaiti leadership to do even more, given Kuwait's own history with unprovoked aggression. We can't ignore our strong economic ties with Kuwait, Kuwait invests billions of dollars in construction and capital markets and consumer goods in the United States. There are significant opportunities for U.S. businesses in Kuwait, and if confirmed, I will advocate strongly for American companies. Mr. Chairman, human rights are at the core of the administration's foreign policy. If confirmed, it will be among my highest priorities. This includes strengthening the rights of women, stateless residents, and Kuwait's large expatriate workforce. Recent elections saw the return Of women to the parliament something we were very supportive of kuwait takes the issue of religious freedom seriously and is home to one of the largest cathedrals in the region kuwait is already a leader in the region for allowing space for political expression fostering an independent media and encouraging participatory government if confirmed i look forward to supporting these important issues in any way that i can the united states and kuwait share a long history that forms a strong foundation for the future Every year, thousands of Kuwaitis come to study at universities across the United States. They return to Kuwait with their experience in the U.S. and contribute to building and strengthening their country. Mr. Chairman, I want to assure the members of this committee that my highest priority, if confirmed, will be the safety and security of all Americans in Kuwait. Over 30,000 U.S. citizens work as military contractors, teachers, and business people, in addition to U.S. government and military personnel. Their presence is emblematic of the strong U.S.-Kuwait partnership. Enduring congressional support and engagement is also a key element of our partnership. I would also like to thank Chairman Menendez for his recent visit, and if confirmed, I would welcome the members of the committee to visit as well. I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to congratulate former Kuwaiti Ambassador to the United States, Sheikh Salam Sabah, on his appointment to Foreign Minister. Chairman Murphy. Racking Member Haggerty, Chairman Menendez, members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I look forward to answering your questions.
0: Thank you to all of our witnesses for your testimony, and again, for your willingness to serve. We'll begin a round of five-minute questions, and I will begin, let me start with you, Ms. Allen. The Global Engagement Center has been a bipartisan, apolitical success story. Uh, a way for the United States to counteract the growing propaganda campaigns that emanate out of Moscow, Beijing, and many non-state actors. Um, But recently, the GEC, as it's come to be known, has come, has been uh, under scrutiny and criticism from right-wing voices who are promoting, you know, just basic conspiracy theories about how the GEC is engaged in Government censorship or media manipulation—I sort of can't keep track of all of the buzzwords and phrases that they use, which you know really belies the fact that this has been, um, you know, a result of consensus between both parties on the need to combat misinformation. Um, so let me just ask you—you know—how are you responding to these critics and conspiracy theorists? And um, isn't this a moment when we need to strengthen? the GEC's resources and authorities to make sure that we can be somewhere close to an even playing field with those that have even bigger information operations than the United States?
6: Indeed, Senator, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about the mission of the Global Engagement Center, which is really the critical body working to counter our adversaries that attempt to undermine us, undermine our credibility and undermine our vision for the future. And in fact, I have talked to members of this committee and staff of this committee on a bipartisan basis about ways in which we can strengthen the Global Engagement Center. Let me be clear, the Global Engagement Center does not engage in censorship, does not operate domestically and does not work on U.S. citizens. They are focused on countering misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and foreign malign influence aimed at overseas audiences. And they have four core areas of focus countering the PRC, countering Iran, countering Russia, and countering terrorism. They are most well known for their exposure of disinformation, for their identification and analysis of the perpetrators of disinformation and foreign malign influence, and of exposing those that are doing so, of calling out false narratives, of calling out lies and making sure that audiences across the world understand that they are being acted against intentionally by actors like the PRC and Russia. But in addition to their exposure work, I'd like to note here today, they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes with governments, partners, and allies across the world. And this indeed is the area in which, if confirmed, I'd like to continue to push on the Global Engagement Center to expand their work. They are working with governments across the world on analyzing disinformation prior to their elections to make sure that elections can be conducted in a fair and free way. They are working with partners like Five Eyes, with the UK, with the the European Union, and with the G7 on making sure that counter disinformation efforts are on our bilateral and multilateral agendas worldwide. Great.
0: Um, well, thank you, I think, for that very cogent explanation of what the GC does and does not do, and we look forward to working with you to tell that story. Um, uh, Ms. Strong, uh, I, I noted in your testimony that you, you correctly pointed out that countering Chinese influence in the region is going to be uh, amongst your highest priorities. Um, But of course, as you know, you are going to represent the United States in a country that has deepening and very worrying ties with China. Uh, Assistant Secretary Leaf testified before this committee in August about administration concerns over Chinese inroads into UAE's tech sector. Uh, The uh, National Threat Assessment um, highlighted China's uh, pursuit of a potential military base in the UAE. Uh, We understand that the sale of F-35s and MQ-9s have been um, halted. The discussions around those sales have been halted due to these concerns about potential deepening integration between uh, China uh, and the UAE. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how worried you understand that we should be uh, about this growing security and economic partnership and how this will rank amongst your priorities uh, once on the job.
7: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, for that question. Uh, The administration has been absolutely clear uh, that uh, China poses uh, the most consequential geopolitical challenge for the United States. And uh, it is a challenge that every single one of our embassies, every single one of our ambassadors around the world is uh, focused on. Um, It is my understanding, certainly, that our mission in the UAE uh, has made this a top priority, as has uh, the department here. Um, in, uh, in terms of uh, the, the specific concerns, uh, as you noted, uh, we have seen uh, China's efforts to uh, increase its influence, uh, gain footholds, uh, not just in the Gulf, but around the world. Um, In the Gulf, and specifically in the UAE, uh, the President uh, has been clear that uh, we will work to strengthen our partners, but at the same time, we will work to ensure that no country can uh, seek to dominate or dominate uh, the region uh, militarily, or through military threats, or through military buildups. And that certainly would include Uh, an establishment of a Chinese installation, military installation in the region. Uh, We have been very clear with our partners in the region uh, to include the UAE that there are certain categories of cooperation with China that would run up very directly and impact very directly our U.S. national security interests. Uh, That message has been delivered, and uh, we believe that uh, our partners in the region are uh, very clear uh, about our concerns, especially, as you noted, Mr. Chairman, uh, certain areas of cooperation in uh, high-tech, advanced technology, and uh, that uh, could potentially impact or threaten the safeguard. Uh, safeguarding and security of our own technology, whether commercial or especially in the defense sector. So uh, if confirmed, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, you certainly have my commitment that this will be a top priority for me. Part of the answer here, of course, is to strengthen our partnership uh, with the UAE. They are a capable interoperable partner and having a very robust diplomatic uh, discourse on this topic uh, is going to be critical in addressing this challenge.
0: Thank you for that strong, clear answer. Senator Haggerty.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chair. In 2021, U.S. intelligence agencies reportedly learned that China was secretly building a military facility at a port near the UAE capital of Abu Dhabi. While the UAE eventually halted construction, Subsequent develops are challenging U.S.-UAE security cooperation, including the continued operation of, a P- of PRC-owned firms at the port, the UAE's plans to purchase Chinese aircraft, UAE cooperation with PRC-owned firms on 5G communications technology, all of the above, making it extraordinarily challenging. So, Sergei Strong, do you believe Communist China's growing presence in the UAE and more broadly in the Middle East constitute a threat to U.S. national security interests?
7: Thank you, Senator. And uh, certainly, uh, as I uh, noted, uh, we are watching with concern China's uh, global efforts. Uh, These are not just efforts in the Gulf uh, to expand its influence. This is very much a focus for uh, all of us around the world and uh, for the administration. Uh, In terms of the specific uh, areas of concern that you have noted, Uh, It is very much a concern, and it is a concern that uh, I know was uh, addressed uh, by our intelligence colleagues uh, last week during the annual uh, threat assessment, uh, a very detailed look at uh, what China is trying to do, what uh, level of threat it poses. Uh, And again, here uh, in, uh, in the Gulf and specifically in the UAE, Uh, This requires uh, absolutely a robust diplomatic response. Um, As I mentioned, it is my understanding that our mission and senior officials of the administration have been very focused on this uh, in their engagements with the UAE and certainly if confirmed, uh, this would be a top priority and I would look forward to working with uh, our, all of our interagency colleagues and with Congress on addressing this challenge.
4: I certainly welcome your working, working with this committee. We see this every day and um, I'm deeply concerned about the challenge. Ms. Asahara, I, I want to acknowledge uh, Ambassador Ratney's presence here, to thank you both for your service. I think you're going to a very challenging neighborhood and you'll see from different perspectives, uh, particularly the challenge that the CCP is posing in the region. I was quite disturbed to see them brokering arrangements between Saudi Arabia and Iran recently. Uh, their presence in Saudi Arabia, their aggressive posture toward obtaining new sources of energy, uh, all of these challenges, um, I think, are going to be significant. And I want to thank both of you for. The sacrifice, I've mentioned families before, but um, you'll be in different countries uh, should you be confirmed, but I very much appreciate the sacrifice that both of you are making. And particularly, I would like to just ask you the same question that that, um, I asked Sharjay Strong. Do you believe communist China's growing presence in Kuwait and the broader Middle East constitute a serious national security threat for America?
9: Thank you very much for the question, Senator. I share your concern about aggressive uh, Chinese security cooperation and commercial prospecting in the region. Our ambassadors confront it every day, and if I am confirmed, I will confront it as well. We believe that we we remain the strategic partner of choice in Kuwait, but we cannot be complacent. We have to stay present, we have to be engaged, and we cannot cede space to China or to any other country.
4: Well put. Uh, Charge Strong, and again Deputy Assistant Secretary Sassahara, President Biden claimed last year that the administration will, quote, will not walk away and leave a vacuum to be filled by China, Russia, or Iran. But the CCP nevertheless has definitely increased its influence in the Middle East, um, and I think at America's expense over the past couple of years. The recent CCP-brokered normalization agreement between Saudi and Iran terrorist regime should be a wake-up call for us, I think. Um, but during a press conference on March 13th, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said something that concerned me, um, and the National Security Advisor and the C- said that the CCP broker deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and I quote, this is from Jake Sullivan, quote, is something that we think is a positive, and he added, quote, having other countries like China promote de-escalation is not fundamentally adverse to U.S. interest. So, Sharjay Strong and Deputy Assistant Secretary Sasser Hart, do you agree with National Security Advisor Sullivan's statement that the CCP brokered deal between the Saudis and Iran is a positive for the U.S.? And if you are confirmed, um, would either of you welcome more CCP influence in the UAE or in Kuwait? I'll start with you, Sharjay Strong.
7: Uh, thank you, Senator. I think it's important to note about uh, this announced agreement uh, last week uh, that this is uh, very much an agreement that's uh, uh, focused on the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, It's a relationship that has been uh, very tense, very fraught. And uh, we saw it, of course, erupt in September 2019 when Iran launched a massive, uh, attack on Saudi Arabia's critical energy infrastructure and knocked out, in fact, 50 percent of that of their production capacity. So uh, the fact that uh, Saudi Arabia was looking to de-escalate and de-pressurize their relationship with Iran uh, certainly makes sense. And when they uh, told us about uh, their efforts, uh, their objective, uh, we were certainly supportive. As were. Other countries in the region, Iraq, to, and to Amman. be clear, though
4: you were supportive of China brokering the deal, or are you supportive of?
7: Uh, if, if I may, uh, we were supportive of Saudi Arabia seeking a diplomatic path to uh, de-escalate their tensions in the region. Um, it is. Uh, it certainly remains to be seen. What happens next? Uh, Iran, of course, has a long history of reneging on agreements, on commitments. Uh, They have an even longer history of destabilizing activities in the region, malign activities starting first and foremost with their nuclear program, their ballistic missile program, their support for proxies, and of course now, more concerningly, proliferation of uh, armaments to Russia. So uh, there are many, many question marks about uh, this agreement and uh, what the future looks like. What uh, is not in question and should never be in question is our partnership with Saudi Arabia and uh, in my future, if confirmed, with the UAE. We need those partnerships. They need to remain strong. We need our partners to be interoperable, capable. Uh, so that we can get on with a lot of important work we have to do. There is no question that it's a more competitive environment for us, uh, but we need to step up, be present, and uh, certainly uh, not cede any ground uh, to China or any other strategic or regional competitor.
0: Thank you. Uh, Chairman Menendez.
10: Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, for for holding this hearing. Let me thank Senator Haggerty for sitting in, even though this was not his ranking spot, but we appreciate you being here so we could have the hearing of these nominees. So uh, uh, it's an incredibly important part of our overall duties, even though we all came here to do policy legislation, but nonetheless uh, nominations are incredibly important to execute those policies. So, so thank you both for, for doing this, and congratulations to all the nominees. I love seeing a panel that is career service people uh, being promoted, and I think that's a great thing. Uh, so congratulations to all your family. Uh, ambassador Radley, it's good to see you here in your new capacity, confirmed. Uh, maybe you can help your wife get through this period of time. So uh, uh, you'll both be in the region, so it'll be nice. Um, let me uh, turn to a few questions. First of all, the UAE. Uh, look, the UAE is an important relationship for us, but as I've said to their ambassador here, uh, you, know, you gotta decide whose side you wanna be on. Uh, Do you want to be in a world in which China and its vision of the world is the world in which you live in? Or do you want to live in a world in which you get to choose how you get to thrive, protect your territorial integrity, choose who you love, who you marry, uh, how you make your money, and a whole host of other things? And in that regard, uh, I, I, I hope that when you get there, uh, that you'll make it very clear that that's part of your mission. And part of their interest as well as ours. This is not about choose between the United States and China, it's about choose what type of world you want to live in. Uh, and that's probably true for the, all of your assignments collectively at the end of the day. Uh, so. Uh, to your knowledge i know you're not there yet but to your knowledge has the uae provided the united states with assurances that it's not going to go forward with its military base at the uae with the chinese
7: Uh, thank you mr chairman and first absolutely i will carry that message it will be a priority uh if confirmed Um, It is my understanding that we have delivered a very clear message to all of our partners in the region, but uh, certainly to the Emirates uh, on uh, the uh, concerns that we have, very deep and grave concerns about certain categories of cooperation with China, and uh, that uh, cooperation certainly would impact on some of our uh, very core national security interests. That you're referring to, and uh, it's a message that uh, it is my understanding has been delivered at the senior most levels. And and what's been the
10: response to your knowledge? Do you know if they have given us assurances they're not moving forward with a Chinese base? Uh,
7: Mr. Chairman, uh, it is my understanding uh, that uh, we will have uh, administration officials briefing uh, the committee staff tomorrow in an appropriate setting on uh, the nature okay. of the conversation, ho- status. I hope my staff tells
10: me what's happening, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Also, in terms of Chinese pres- uh, penetration of the UAE telecom system and other technology sectors, are you aware of that and ready to make sure you make the case why that's not a good idea for them or for us?
7: Uh, Absolutely, I've seen uh, the open uh, source reporting on this, and uh, clearly uh, the penetration of uh, Chinese equipment in any network is concerning, and certainly as it impacts our cooperation, our security cooperation, this would be very concerning. So very much a message that uh, will be topmost on my agenda, if confirmed.
10: All right, thank you. Ms. Dasahara, I had, as you mentioned, a a good visit in Kuwait. Uh, The relatively new foreign minister, former former ambassador here, knows the United States well, knows the interests of his country vis-a-vis the United States well. Uh, I'm wondering... uh, whether you'll uh, be able to uh, engage with the Kuwaitis about considering a session to the Abraham Accords. Uh, We had this conversation. We were there. um, And while it's clear to me that they're not ready for that, I think that working towards getting ready for that would be a good thing. Is that something that you see uh, being engaged in?
9: Thank you very much for the uh, question, Mr. Chairman. It's a very important one. I share your disappointment that uh, Kuwait is not um, part of the Abraham Accords. To not even consider it is to risk being left behind in the region and possibly an outlier, which can be very risky in today's global markets and in the strategic security environment of that region. Uh, we've already seen the benefits of the Abraham Accords, whether it's an education, tourism, business, as well as regional security. With your permission, if I am confirmed, I would like the opportunity to get on the ground and get a sense of what is possible and report back to you.
10: We appreciate the Kuwaitis being, you know, they host, I went to the base there, they host uh, for Thanksgiving. I went to the base. We appreciate their their participation with us in so many different ways, but we hope that they will be more forward-leading in embracing the possibility of normalization of relationships uh, with Israel. Lastly, um, uh, as you know, Turkmenistan's neighbor Uzbekistan took important steps to end forced labor in its cotton industry, which opened up greater uh, economic opportunities for the country. Ms. Rood, what? With Uzbekistan as an example, what can be done to encourage the government of uh, Turkmenistan to understand that the respect for human rights is not only a moral imperative, but will create an environment more conducive to economic investment and prosperity?
8: Thank you for that question, Chairman Menendez. Labor rights is among the many human rights challenges that are central to our bilateral agenda with the government of Turkmenistan. Uh, one that we address regularly through our daily diplomacy as well as through our recurring annual bilateral consultations. I'm happy to share with you that we see some progress on the issue of forced labor and labor rights in Turkmenistan. Um, In uh, September and October of this year, there were two visits to Turkmenistan by the International Labor Organization and another visit uh, already just this month. Uh, The purpose of this visit is to engage with the government of Turkmenistan on um, labor issues, labor rights, particularly in the cotton industry, uh, to provide advice, uh, potentially technical assistance, uh, and as well to to observe and monitor practices during the cotton harvest. Uh, I hope through this persistent uh, and patient engagement with Turkmenistan that we will see continued Progress uh, and uh, a resolution of the outstanding issues.
10: Well, thank you, uh, uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Allen. I'll, I'll leave questions for the record, but I don't want you to think I don't uh, have no affection for what you're going to do. Uh, I am concerned about what is institutional changes we might use to better educate our diplomats about public diplomacy tools, as well as uh, content creation and timely delivery. And Mr. Yoon, I, I'm, you know, I, I think that you're that the assignment that you're being given is an incredibly important one, and therefore I need to visit you.
0: Uh, uh, well, good welcome. luck to all of you.
6: Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Ricketts.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, first of all, I would like to add my thanks to each of you for serving our great nation, and uh, especially those who are the career of foreign service folks. Thank you very much for the sacrifices you make on behalf of our country and to the families as well, because I know you sacrifice alongside your loved one when they're overseas representing our nation. So thank you all very much. And um, I look forward to uh, all of you continuing to serve our great country. Um, Ms. Asahara, I was actually in Kuwait when I was governor of Nebraska last year, visiting some of our National Guard soldiers. So I look forward to you being able to take care of them while you are there. And then Ms. Strong, you and your team uh, hosted us when we were in Saudi Arabia, and you, uh, you and your team did a fantastic job while we were there, so thank you very much for uh, uh, being great hosts while we were there, and it was a very enlightening experience. Actually, after we visited uh, in Saudi Arabia, we went to the United Arab Emirates, and we had the opportunity to speak with government officials there, and one of the key things that we heard there was their great dissatisfaction with uh, the United States response after their attack January 17th of uh, 2022. Um, Abu Dhabi was attacked by drones and missiles and there wasn't a response from the Biden administration. In fact, I believe Secretary Blinking had to several weeks later go back and apologize for our silence. They uh, equated their attack to their 9-11 and felt like we didn't uh, respond in time. In fact, I think that's one of the things that opens the door for China to have a relationship with the UAE because then they question our responsibility or our responsiveness and whether or not we're going to be good allies in the region. If you're confirmed, what can you do to help overcome this it's like I said, it was it was pretty bad the way they they talked to us about this. What what can you do to help mend that relationship so that we can continue to have a good relationship with the UAE and, and make sure they're staying uh, you know, good allies with the United States and help us in all the things we want to do like prevent sanctions leaking into Russia.
7: Thank you, Senator, and it was a pleasure, of course, to host you in Saudi Arabia, and we really appreciated the visit. Uh, With regard to UAE, I I completely agree with you that it is critical to maintain our strong partnership with the UAE. Uh, The President was very clear from the early days of his administration uh, that our commitment to the region, to the partnerships that we have built up over decades in the region, is absolute. Uh, When he came to the region last July, he amplified that message in his conversations with uh, the region's leaders. Um, What I think is important here is uh, focusing on what we're doing now. And uh, certainly there is a very deep security cooperation that we share with the UAE. They're, as I mentioned, a very capable interoperable partner to us, uh, we've deployed together, we have counter terrorists together, the the history of achievements is uh, quite extensive. But also to have a very forward looking agenda, which we do. Uh, when it comes to security, of course, we're working uh, not just bilaterally, but uh, regionally with the GCC to institute, for example, uh, an integrated air and missile defense, and a maritime security architecture. Uh, not all of our uh, support and uh, cooperation, of course, is in a public realm, and so I'm limited in what I can discuss here, but certainly that's very much a focus, and uh, if confirmed, will be a focus for me. But beyond uh, the security, there's of course uh, the cooperation that uh, We have uh, now seen blossom under uh, the Abraham Accords and and this historic achievement uh, should be our focus and certainly if confirmed will be my focus because I think that it can underpin a lot of positive uh, developments. We've already of course seen a lot uh, that has been achieved and I certainly would look forward to growing that cooperation and partnership if confirmed.
11: Well, Ms. Strong, I've only got about 40 seconds left, and you preempted my question anyway by getting into the Abraham Accords, because I do think that was a historic U.S. diplomatic uh, achievement, and glad that you're gonna continue to support that. I think that's one of the things we heard was important when the UAE, Uh, we visited, you mentioned in your remarks, the Abrahamic Family Center that has a mosque, a synagogue, and a Catholic church on the site, and that uh, we also heard that about 600,000 Israelis have visited UAE since the Accords, which is all a very positive sign for continuing cooperation. And I would just encourage you to also look for ways that we can expand the relationship between not only the United States and the United Arab Emirates, but also with Israel in that cooperation as well. So, uh, but again, thank you very much for being such a great host when we were over there. Uh, you and your team again did a great job. And just a little trivia fact, Nebraska is the state with the highest percentage of people who claim Czech ancestry. Hmm. There you go.
0: Senator Gain. Senator thank you, Mr. Chair.
12: Ms. Sassahara, I wanna begin with you. Um, We are going to have a vote tomorrow that begins the process of repealing uh, war authorizations against Iraq, two war authorizations. Everybody knows about the 2002 authorization, but we still have a live war authorization against Iraq from 1991, a war, the Gulf War, that was for the purpose of driving Iraq out of Kuwait. Um, My understanding is that the Kuwait-Iraq relationship after 32 years, they're neighbors, they're productive, they have good diplomatic relations, may not agree on everything, you never agree on everything with a neighbor, but is that your assessment as well, that Iraq-Kuwait relations are generally good and and a positive force for stability in the region?
9: Thank you for the question, Senator, and that is my understanding as well. I think in one sense that was a very hard page to turn I think most Kuwaitis over the age of 40 lived through it, 30 understand that and remember that. It was a a brutal invasion and an even more brutal occupation. So it was a hard uh, page to turn, but they're neighbors and that geography isn't going to change. And I think through diplomatic discussions directly, they uh, are in a better place, it's stronger, they're reaching Uh, a lot of agreements, whether it's on maritime, whether it's on uh, border security. I think they are in um, a very, very good place.
12: That's good. You know, one one of the things that's hardest in life to do is to beat a sword into a plowshare. Uh, And yet, you do find, in life, nations can do it. You know, Germany and Japan are two of the United States' most reliable allies right now. Um, We were at war with Iraq to topple the government, and last week Secretary Austin was in Iraq uh, talking about Iraq's important role as a security partner in in battling against ISIS or other non-state terrorist groups and checking Iranian aggression, trying to be a force for stability in in the region. It's a credit to the United States that we look at an adversary as a temporary adversary and have hope that in the future we might be on the same page. It's a credit to other nations that they can view. Uh, us uh, in the same way that hey, there's there there was tough tough, you know bloodshed even between our nations, but uh, we would still rather be your partner down the road than be your adversary. And one of the reasons I'm excited to repeal these authorizations, and there are many reasons, is I think it it sends the message even to nations that are adversaries today that you could be an adversary of the United States, but it's not a permanent thing. We we would want to always prefer the olive branch to the arrow. And that's why the seal, the, the eagle on the seal of the United States looks toward the olive branch rather than to the arrow, because that's our preference. Um, Ms. Strong, I want to ask you questions. I, I'm really just to ed, educate me or help, help me gain an understanding. You're, you're leaving a very challenging position in Saudi Arabia, and you're going to a really challenging and important one in the UAE. I find Saudi Arabia often so. Perplexing, And, and I'm, I'm still extremely angry over the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Virginian um, Washington Post journalist. I don't think there's been accountability for that. I, I don't think you can allow crimes of that magnitude to go with no accountability without them proliferating. But as a critic, I do feel duty bound to also then, if I'm going to be a critic, Say something positive. Uh, Saudi Arabia recently announced aid to Ukraine. That's great. Saudi Arabia recently announced that to construct a new international airline, they're purchasing um, uh, aviation platforms that are made in the United States. They could have done something else and gone elsewhere, but they have done that. That's going to be good for the country. It'll be good for for my Commonwealth. Um, it does appear that the, you know the, the, there's effort to hold on to a ceasefire in in Yemen. So. What, what advice would you give this committee? We, we often find ourselves in a tough spot where we're angry with Saudi Arabia at some things and, and yet see other areas where they're you know, making strides that we could support. So as you depart this position, what, what advice would you give to the Foreign Relations Committee about the way to appropriately exercise oversight over this relationship?
7: Uh, Thank you very much, Senator, and I uh, hesitate to give you advice because you framed uh, so aptly uh, the complexities uh, of the relationship that we have with Saudi Arabia. Uh, There are, uh, of course, many, many uh, grave concerns. And you mentioned uh, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, whose uh, murder was just a horrific act that cannot be repeated, and we've made that clear to Saudi Arabia. And there are, of course, long uh, list of concern uh, concerns related to human rights. But as you mentioned, uh, there are also efforts on the part uh, of the kingdom and the kingdom's leadership uh, to really remake the kingdom and uh, and we do have to acknowledge the positive changes that are underway there. It's, uh, it's spotty, it's uh, far from perfect, it definitely remains a work in progress, uh, but uh, what I would urge uh, members of this committee is to engage with the Saudis. They need to hear your concerns. I think a lot of times uh, the distance uh, filters out uh, a lot of uh, nuance, and uh, they do not fully appreciate uh, that our concerns, your concerns, uh, are grounded in some very core concerns that we have that impact on our national uh, security that may impact on uh, our priorities, foreign policy priorities, and uh, and hearing that not just from me or from uh, my colleagues in the Department of State or Department of Defense is very important. Uh, and, and I will tell you that I am yet to uh, go to a meeting with a senior Saudi and have them say we're not going to talk about a specific problem if you ask. They're very open. Uh, as you know, President uh, Biden, when he went to Saudi Arabia, raised all of our key issues, all of the painful issues. And uh, he was very open in, uh, in the conversation and uh, the, the Saudi leadership was as well.
12: I appreciate you you allowing me to go over my time, but I'm really, I was really looking for advice there, and I think that's good advice. Thanks, Mr. Chair.
0: Uh, Thank you, Senator Kim. I just have one uh, final question, and then um, pending arrivals, we can close the hearing out. Um, Ms. Strong, I I guess I wouldn't paint as rosy a picture as I think you have um, in your testimony and your answers to questions about the state of the U.S. relationship with UAE. Um, Senator Ricketts mentioned this, and I don't think you responded to him, so I I, I want to talk to you about one development. Um, One of the things you reference in your testimony is that we share a mutual interest in securing a free, rules-based, and prosperous world with the UAE. I don't know that I would phrase it that way. Uh, um, I don't think they have interest in a free world. I mean, they're a dictatorship to the extent... They support a rules-based world. It's certainly not rules set by their citizens. Um, But they are also reportedly really at the hub of sanctions evasion when it comes to our ability to keep technology and weapons out of Russia. Recent reporting suggests that the UAE, maybe more so than many of our other allies, is acting as a mechanism and means to get weapons to... Uh, to Russia. There's a report that UAE exported 15 times more microchips to Russia in 2022 than in 2021. There's other reports that um, UAE exported 158 drones to Russia last year, as late as December of last year. And so um, I, I wanna make sure that this is high on your priority list because you're suggesting this integrated security relationship with UAE, and yet what we're learning is that the UAE is actually at the center of the attempt to try to support Russia against Ukraine? Um, I just want to make sure that this is um, that you're going into this. As I know you are, with eyes wide open about this immense challenge we have with them.
7: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and absolutely, I am very much uh, aware of the concerns that you raise. Uh, As you know, it is not just me who is concerned about this. This is the entire U.S. government as we seek to mobilize assistance for Ukraine, as we're seeking to uh, assist uh, Ukraine counter- this brutal aggression. Uh, Part of our effort, of course, is to ensure that we stop the flow of the inputs that Putin is using to fuel his war machine, and this is very much part of uh, the conversations we've had with uh, the UAE, specifically on uh, the re-export of electronics, dual-use items, and controlled items. uh, And uh, our Department of Treasury, our Ambassador O'Brien, who is our sanctions coordinator, are working this issue both bilaterally and multilaterally with our EU and UK partners. And, uh, And this is a focus not just on the UAE, although obviously uh, you uh, noted uh, how uh, high of an interest we have in what, what it is that they're doing, but also it's a global effort to ensure that we stem the flows of uh, these items into Russia.
0: I understand understand that it's a global effort, and you've couched a lot of your answers in terms of UAE and everybody else, but China has a particular interest in the UAE. UAE is a particular problem when it comes to sanctions evasion, so I I don't want to sort of hide UAE in the global effort to counter Chinese influence or to combat sanctions evasion. There's a particular issue in the UAE that we have to confront. Um, Senator Van Hollen.
13: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank um, all of you for your testimony. Congratulations uh, on your nominations. Uh, I understand that my my friend and colleague, Senator Sullivan, uh, talked about our work together, uh, co-chairing the, the Foreign Service Caucus. Uh, all of you who are members of the Foreign Service. Um, thank you for your, your long-time efforts. Um, and Ms. Allen, thank you for your stepping up uh, for this uh, position. and. Um, a number of people who used to work for me uh, sing your praises uh, very highly. So congratulations all, and as I came in, I heard Senator Murphy asking a couple questions regarding the UAE and sanctions evasion uh, that I had planned to, to take up. I appreciate your, your answers. Look, as you know, we've had um, several en- un- envoys, one from the Treasury Department, one from the State Department, um, visiting the UAE recently. but. Conduct does not seem to have changed, at least according to most reports. So, you know, we're left with uh, very few options. We want to work with the UAE. Um, At the same time, uh, we're going to have to ensure that we have the ability to enforce our sanctions. Um, So, I, I, Ms. Strong, I, I assume you agree with that assessment.
7: Uh, Thank you, Senator, and yes, we have been uh, very clear that uh, our sanctions regimes, our export controls uh, will be vigorously enforced.
13: Right, well, we have the export control part and then we have the financial sanctions, and my best assessment, based on public reporting, is uh, UAE is violating both, Um, and so that's a a challenge. Um, I understand you were asked about the recent um, agreement, at least preliminary rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia brokered by, by China. We don't have to rehash history. I, it's my belief that um, when the previous administration tore up the JCPOA, um, they created openings uh, for others. But regardless of how we got here, um, and regardless about our concern about China's actions in the region, um, would you agree that lowering the temperature uh, between Iran and Saudi Arabia would be a positive development in the region if that holds? Uh,
7: thank you, Senator. Um, I, I think first it's uh, worth noting that uh, Saudi Arabia certainly believed that lowering the temperature and de escalating their relationship with Iran was important and was needed. Um, and uh, certainly, if uh, the agreements and uh, commitments are actually implemented, Uh, and they do de-escalate tensions in the region, uh, that could be a positive development. Uh, Certainly any impact, positive impact on Yemen and bringing that conflict to a more durable solution, again, uh, would be very important, given our interest in uh, concluding that conflict and addressing the humanitarian crisis that still exists there. Uh, But uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, it really, it remains to be seen uh to what extent iran is prepared to set aside its long history of destabilizing activities and actually live up to it, its commitments in this regard uh, but uh part of the answer here has to be uh our cooperation and partnerships in the region and the President has made very clear that it is our partnerships uh, in the region that are a strong asset for us and uh, and uh, really underpin his strategy uh, to build Uh, Middle East, that's more stable and uh, more integrated. And in this regard, uh, I think that we also have to take a look at our partnerships and uh, shore them up, strengthen them uh, where necessary and continue to uh, work the diplomatic piece because that's absolutely critical. It's critical in Yemen, it's yielding benefits in Yemen, and uh, we're hopeful that uh, we're going to be able to make some progress there.
13: Well, no, I appreciate that, and 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 clearly, um, uh, yeah, don't don't trust and verify. That's um, I think the the maxim that we've uh, come to um, adhere to, uh, and I think it's uh, wise counsel. I was just I just came. I was a little late to this hearing because I came from a meeting with uh, Director Grossi, the head of the IAEA, uh, giving his report on his most recent trip uh, to Iran, uh, where he was cautiously optimistic uh, that they would open uh, sites to more daily inspections and verification cameras, but as he would emphasize, as you did, as I will, um, you, you, you gotta, uh, only when actions are taken uh, can we believe the, the commitments uh, that, that were made. Um, if I could just um, uh, close, uh, Mr. Yan, Mr. Um, congratulations. Uh, I think you'll be the first ambassador, uh, no, to the, The Maldives uh, if confirmed Um, and uh, I I look forward to continuing a conversation uh, with you about our bilateral relationship as well of course as the issue of um, climate change uh, where we know the Maldives are probably more exposed than if not every other country Um, they're certainly tied for first uh, and will be underwater uh, at the current Uh, Rate of climate change and sea level rise if if we as an international global community don't don't work on uh, on that issue Uh, Way back in the day, um, you know, my father was a career foreign service officer He was ambassador to Sri Lanka and the Maldives at that time We was accredited to the Maldives. It is a beautiful country, but lots of challenging uh, issues with um, especially with China's efforts uh, to gain even more influence in that area. India obviously has a historic and important role to play, but uh, I look forward to continuing our uh, conversation and congratulations on being the first U.S. ambassador assigned specifically uh, to the Maldive Islands. And I look forward to uh, supporting all of your confirmations. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Senator Van Hollen. And I think it's of uh, particular import um, that you heard from the sun of the previous ambassador of that region, uh, his, his congratulations. I'm sure your father is smiling, Senator Van Hollen, to see uh, the advancement of, of the post that he once held. Um, and I'd like to state with you, uh, Hugo, if I might, uh, going to the Maldives, very strategic location, our adversaries will have a great deal of interest in what's happening there. And I think that means uh, that you'll need to have a very clear-eyed perspective on advancing America's interest along with our host nation as you serve there. Um, I'd like to, to to that end, I'd like to ask you to go back in time with me to the time when you served as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Transportation Affairs at the Department of State. What was the best deal that you saw cut for American interest uh, when you were in that diplomatic post? Uh, Thank you, Senator. Uh, At the uh,
5: risk of flattery, it was the deal we worked on. It was the deal we did in in
4: japan absolutely and i I just want to draw that point for the rest of the the candidates here Um, i think you need ambassadors that wake up every day Mm -hmm. asking themselves how can i advance america's interest how can i do that in conjunction with the host nation how can we make our nation stronger every day hugo and i worked for a long time together to get a very very tough deal done that was very very good for america and frankly it's going to be great for the region and i just hope and pray that all of you will be finding those opportunities every day, and I trust that you will. Congratulations to all of you on your nominations. Again, congratulations to your families that are here too. I appreciate that. Um, QFRs will be due by the close of business on Friday. And I'll call this meeting adjourned. Thank you.